I want to ask you to look in Proverbs 4 this morning. Let me begin with some verses I gave you before we left on the trip. And again, I'm going to be in Proverbs 4 in just a moment. But remember these two verses. Romans 8, 6 tells us, For to be carnally minded is death, but to be spiritually minded is life and peace. And James 1.8 tells us that a double-minded man is unstable in all his ways. One of the guiding things through the whole preparation and the mission and even today is to understand the difference between being spiritually minded and being double-minded. That, that being said, I want to read something to you from The Imitation of Christ by Thomas Akempis from the, uh, the chapter entitled Resisting Temptation. Just listen to these words and then I want to bring a message this morning he writes, so long as we live in this world, we cannot escape suffering and temptation. Whence it is written in Job, the life of man upon earth is a warfare. Everyone, therefore, must guard against temptation and must watch in prayer, lest the devil, who never sleeps, but goes about seeking whom he may devour, would find occasion to deceive him. No one is so perfect or so holy, but he is sometimes tempted. Man cannot be altogether free from temptation. Yet temptations, though troublesome and severe, are often useful to a man, for in them he is humbled, purified, and instructed. There is no state so holy, no place so secret that temptations and trials will not come. Man is never safe from them as long as he lives, for they come from within us. In sin we were born. When one temptation or trial passes, another comes. We shall always have something to suffer. We cannot conquer simply by fleeing, but by patience and true humility, we become stronger than all our enemies. The man who only shuns temptation outwardly and does not uproot them will make little progress. Indeed, they will quickly return more violent than before. Little by little, in patience and long-suffering, you will overcome them by the help of God rather than by severity and your own rash ways. Often take counsel when tempted, and do not be harsh with others who are tempted, but console them as you yourself would wish to be consoled. Now, this is the last portion of this, but listen very carefully. The beginning of all temptation lies in a wavering mind and little trust in God. For as a rudderless ship is driven hither and yon by waves, so a careless and irresolute man is tempted in many ways. To be carnally minded is death. To be spiritually minded is life and peace. But a double-minded man is unstable in all his ways. And Kempis, who wrote with such wisdom of the spiritual life, said, The beginning of all temptation lies in a wavering mind, and little trust in God. A wavering mind and little trust in God. I want to address these things this morning, but what I want to bring the message on today is keeping the mission mindset. Keeping the mission mindset. When the military brings service members home from a, from a combat theater, uh, one of the critical tasks is to debrief them with what is called, at least in, in our time, and Daryl could tell me if battle mind training is still what they call it now, and that's been around since, I guess, the early 2000s uh, at least, but soldiers that are headed out to Iraq and Afghanistan uh, during my time, even back then, would, would get battle mind training on the front end of deployment. 
And that was to prepare them for what they would encounter once they got into that, that area of operation. And then on the back end, when they come home, they get that battle mind training that was designed to help them come down from that combat mindset, to be able to relax, to be able to turn off that vigilance and alertness and uh, to not have to be on all the time. There are a couple of things about that in application. Number one, we do need battle mind training spiritually too. And one of the things that made a mission trip so successful was the fact that we did so much battle mind training ahead of time to consider and think about what we would see. And, and one of the, the articles about battle mind training that I was reading about as I was thinking on this was talking about how they try to present the soldiers' worst-case scenarios up front. And I think the mindset behind that is, is that hopefully it won't be that bad. And some of our folks will tell you, even tonight, it turned out not to be that bad. And praise the Lord for that. But here's the difference. When we come back from that mission trip, our goal should not be to turn it off and to come down from alert and vigilance. But our goal, our battle mind training coming off of the mission should be, let's stay on. Let's stay on with where we were and, and the way we were doing things. You know, my experience coming home from the mission trip this year, where we were certainly engaged in spiritual combat, and though, again, I want to say we experienced the overwhelming power of God in strengthening us each day and, and in shielding us. And again, you'll hear that from the team this evening. But, but again, uh, we engaged in spiritual combat, but my experience coming home from the mission, it was just quite different than that whole idea of, of shutting it down and turning it off because as I was re reflecting on this yesterday, here was my thought. I want to keep what I got from this trip. I want to keep the lessons learned. I want to continue to put them into practice. And, and while you're on a mission, you're focused on that mission. And we were focused on that mission around the clock. I mean, I don't know. I, we, we haven't compared this trip to every other trip in every way, but I feel like that the engagement of being on the mission was, was almost, if you weren't sleeping, you were on mission. And that's the way it felt. But it was, it was great. I mean, you'll hear from the team, this was a very good thing that was enjoyable and, and we're glad for that. But when you come home from that, you come back to some of those same battles that you were in before you left. You, you come back to some of those same temptations that you faced before you left. Those temptations are waiting, that enticement to slip back into less spiritually minded living. All those creature comforts that you were doing just fine without all this past week now seem like you must have them all once again. And we can begin to slip into the opposite of mission mindset. We begin to slip into more of that double-mindedness. Now, now don't, don't get lost here. Don't, don't lose me. If you weren't on the mission trip, I'm not just talking to the mission team this morning. I'm painting an illustration for you. Because James said a double-minded man is unstable in all his ways. Now, to those of you that weren't on the mission trip, you can recognize the same thing I'm talking about. Maybe during this past week, you were focused on the mission. Let me put it this way as far as making application. You know how it is? We just had vacation Bible school a couple weeks ago. And you know how when you're coming to vacation Bible school, it helps you stay focused. You're, you're a little more mindful of the things of God. Maybe if you're a teacher or you're leading music or you're going to be, you know, you're just kind of thinking more. Maybe you're praying more. And the days that that's going on, you're just plugged in a little deeper. But when it's over, 
You can just kind of, and before you know it, some things you were doing just fine without start calling you again. Hey, turn this back on. Hey, come over here. Hey, do this, you know. Maybe during a, a revival at the church where we have a, a week of a meeting or something. It's easy. You know, you're, you go, you do work, and then you come home, and you're in church, and you're hearing the Word of God preached, and you're worshiping. But when it's over, we, we start drifting. We're, we're focused more on God when we're mission-minded. We're focused more on His calling, focused more on His mission. But afterwards, if we're not careful, we begin to let go. How much more intense is it to to come back from a mission field assignment where you're on an ultra-heightened state of mission readiness in what can be said, without exaggeration, hostile territory. You get back and you just might be tempted to melt into carnality again. But my thoughts yesterday were these, that I want to be different. I want to stay different. I know, for me, for you, for every one of us, that after we've been on mission for God, I know that if we drift back into carnality, I know that if we give into that, that indulging too much has no benefit. It's actually not even enjoyable. And it'll leave us feeling regret and shame. It'll bring poor health spiritually and physically. As the team knows, living like we lived in the past week was very strengthening. It was very good for spiritual development. We were living strong in the Lord. We were living with mission-mindedness. And I want to keep living at that level of strength. I believe that everybody that was on the mission trip this week and everybody back here who focused and prayed, maybe fasted and, and thought about us, and it was kind of constantly there, I believe every one of us lived at a higher level, and it was a good place to live. And now, what I believe the Lord is saying to us is, do not step back from that. The things that helped you live that way this past week are things you should continue in. The team can tell you, they all had their own personal ways of of doing so, but as I reflected back on the week and, and even our preparations during the weeks leading up to the trip, Here are the things that made us strong in the Lord. I said everybody had their own ways of applying this, but I think everybody on the team will agree with what I'm about to say. And and this isn't a comprehensive list, but but three things that I think helped us to be strong in the Lord and helped us be mission-minded. And the first thing that I believe did it was this increased and intensive prayer life. This increased and intensive praying. That focus on God's work in my life and in the life of those around me, both my team and the people that we were doing outreach to. You see, all of that helped us be much more intensive in our praying. We had our own prayer times as individuals, but we also had our team meetings. And I think it was universally agreed that our team meetings this year were exceptional. I, I, would, I would think, even to the last day, honestly, maybe, not the, maybe by, by Thursday night I knew it wouldn't be true, but up till then I always thought, you know, well, the team meeting, you know, we'll shoot for about 30 minutes. I know people are tired. they got stuff they need to do. And without fail, every team meeting every night would last at least an hour, might have been longer, and it was not dead air. They were exceptional. Do you know why that happened, team? And church, you know why that happened? Because, by the way, that, those team meetings were just a small little 
reflection of what our church gatherings ought to be. Right, team? I mean, we were doing church every night. We were huddling together and looking at God's Word and praying and sharing and testifying and praising God. And sometimes there were tears. There was a whole lot of laughter. Well, that sounds like what church ought to be. And, 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 it, and it helped that everybody was spending that time in prayer. And we were thanking God for what he had done, what we had seen, what we had experienced. The second thing I think that helped us be mission-minded and be strong in the Lord was separation from media. Now, I don't know to what level everybody had that. I, I don't know. I, I know that there were ginormous televisions in the place we stayed, but I don't even know if anybody knew where the remote controls were. It wasn't even a thing. It wasn't a thought on our mind. And that's just one example of media. The world could have been falling apart last week. I don't know if we would have known it. And I'm not saying by any means that we should be ignorant of what's going on in the world. I'm not saying that, but I'm saying that that separation from media, because you know as well as I do, the average Joe is consuming too much of it. But that separation from media and from secular entertainment and influence, to whatever level it was practiced, uh, by each individual, that was very helpful. And I'm saying again, this is practical application to our life. If we want to be mission-minded all the time, if we want to live strong in the Lord all the time, that, that is going to have to be the way we live. Not, not, not totally. I mean, I haven't seen an Andy Griffith show yet since I got back. I'm, I'm beginning to feel a little bit of a hunger now that I've been back on the ground for a couple of days. But, but we've got to be careful about what we get drawn back into. And then number three, I think, and this one, now just stand with me, hold with me a second. But team, you'll know this, to whatever level it was practiced in certain days and certain hours, it might have not been practiced as strong as others, but I'm not pointing any fingers. But all, all joking aside, a healthier diet and increased exercise. Now think about that. Team, you were there, and, and you'll agree, by and large, you probably ate better, at least didn't eat as much. Probably ate better, and I know we exercised more you know, the team walked over six miles a day with their backpacks and their, their stuff. Now, depending on whose tracker you followed, it was, could have been over seven miles a day, but we think Miss Tammy Overcash kept counting the subway rides, and we told Miss Tammy that the subway ride does not count. But anyway, but anyway, you look at it, that's a, that's a, that's a lot of walking, a lot of exercise. And, and friends, you need to understand something. There's, there's scripture to back this up all through the Bible, but our physical wellness has an effect on our soul wellness. And, and team, you noticed that. I hope you noticed that this week. Now, I'm not saying that we should all uh, plan to try to get in six miles every day of walking. But I'm simply saying, again, it's the increased presence of God and attention to God and the decreased attention to ourselves and what our flesh desires. That helps us stay strong and mission-minded. And team, it was on my heart concerning these things in church. Likewise, how do I transfer these things into my everyday life back here at home. One thing I know for sure, the only way to live truly well is to live on mission for Jesus every day. And, and, and I want that to be maybe the point of the morning message, that the only way to live well is to live on mission for Jesus every day. Every day. Every day, child of God, you have a mission. Every day. You see, we didn't come home and now the mission's done until the next one comes. No, the next one was here. It's right now. 
Today there will be a mission. I'm on mission right now. Part of my mission today is to deliver this message. And, and we all have a mission, and we need to live in that mission-mindedness. Because to be carnally minded is death, but to be spiritually minded is life and peace. And here's the thing, the application uh, for all of us, that we should all want to keep this mission mindset. Think of your part, again, while we were away. Many of you were praying for the team. And again, I said, perhaps you even fasted in some way on behalf of the mission trip. And certainly many of you gave in support to the mission. Think about what that did. And remember, we must all, all be engaged in the mission, whether as a goer or as a, a, a sender. Because every believer is either a goer, a sender, or is living in disobedience to the great commission of Jesus. Everybody here, you're either a goer, a sender, or you're living in disobedience. Now, having said these things, I want to invite you to look at the text of Proverbs chapter 4. And this is a passage we looked at as a team on Thursday morning of our trip. And by this time, we had spent three days in the city and had encountered a lot of darkness, a lot of sights and sounds and smells, can I get a witness, that were not like home. We had done well, and for that I'm grateful. As a team, I want to, I want to say on behalf of the team to the church, as part of the report, the team did well. Their spirit was good. Their, their spiritual mind was good throughout the week. So even all those things we'd encountered, yet the spirit was strong. But, but, come Thursday morning, we were certainly feeling fatigue. We were feeling it physically. We were feeling it emotionally. We were feeling it mentally. And I had began to think, you know, the night before, I thought, boy, I, we got to be careful. We got to be careful because we'll start getting aggravated. We'll be easily... I could start getting aggravated. Everybody else has got better attitudes. But just being mindful of that and saying, Lord, we're going to need some help with this. And we began that Thursday morning with a word of strengthening guidance from the Lord. I'd read the evening before in my prayer time, I was reading a book that I'd taken with me. And this is a line that I read in the book. In, and not, it's not profound, but listen to this. In our weariness, we are vulnerable. Not real profound, but it was timely. I read that on Wednesday night, and I said, yes, that is true. And I, I thought about the age-old example of, of the, the, the lions that are stalking the herd, and they're watching for that weak one to fall behind from the rest so they can pounce. And we didn't want anybody falling behind. Now, church, again, this is not just about a mission trip. This is about our mission as God's church. And we don't want anybody falling behind. It's hard. It's hard sometimes people will start falling behind before we even notice that they'd fell behind. There are always going to be casualties. They can't always be prevented. But as much as we can, we want to make sure no one's falling behind. So this all has application. I start thinking, what can we do, Lord? What can we do to help with the weariness? And that's where I was brought to Proverbs 4, which we looked at, and I want to share with you a few simple thoughts before we close this morning. Proverbs 4 and just look at verse 23. I want to read the primary text, and then I want to work out of the chapter the things that will help us keep our mission-mindedness. Proverbs 4.23 says, Keep thy heart with all diligence, for out of it are the issues of life. Keep thy heart with all diligence. If we are to keep the mission-mindedness, we must guard our hearts. 
What he's saying there is that it is from the heart that the course or the path, the trajectory of your life will be determined. So make sure that you protect your heart above everything else. This is of prime importance. Mission mindset, which is really how we want to live every day, begins with guarding the heart. The lab, as it is in Hebrew, the L-E-B, it's the inner man. We talked about the inner man a lot on our mission trip and our team meetings. How's, how are you doing in the inner man today? How are you doing inside? The inner man. It's the word used for the mind, for, uh, to speak of the understanding, how we comprehend, how we receive and digest life and the world around us. Guard your heart. It's that middle part of you. Or as the the New Testament Greek equivalent, it's the word core. C-O-R. And you know core in the English, C-O-R-E, means the center. The center of everything. God says, guard your heart. The center of everything. If the heart's in bad shape, everything's going to be in bad shape. God, who designed all this and put it all together, put up a physical heart inside of us that illustrates that very well, doesn't it? And when the heart is not good, everything becomes affected. There is, I want to just say, an absolute joy that comes uh, from living mission-minded. Listen to this passage from Psalm 84, verses 4 through 7. Blessed or all the absolute joy of those that dwell in thy house, they will be still praising thee, Selah. Oh, preacher, yeah, it'd be great if we could be at church at the house of God all the time. Wrong. That's not what he's saying. This is a pilgrim psalm written by a man who's not at the house of God, written by a man who's coming to understand that it is God that dwells in us. In the New Testament, we are the temple of God. And bless the joy of those that dwell in thy house They will be still praising thee, Selah. Blessed, all the absolute joy of the man or the woman whose strength is in thee, in whose heart are the ways of them, the journey, the pilgrimage. That's what that means. Whose heart is in the pilgrimage. This world is not my home. I'm just passing through. That's what that verse means. My heart is is not set on things below, but it is set on things above. I am in, I'm into this journey with all my heart. Boy, that person has joy unspeakable. Look, look at what they're able to do. Who passing through the valley of Baca, the weeping, the valley of weeping, they make it a well. The rain also filleth the pools. In other words, they pass through difficult places and hard times, but they leave it better than they found it. What a testimony. That's the testimony of someone who is mission-minded. Mission-mindedness, the way of joy, the way of strength, the way of the heart. So guard the heart. Guard the heart. And the best way to guard the heart is to keep the heart before God always. Psalm 
139, verse 23 and 24, Search me, O God, know my heart, try me, know my thoughts, and see if there be any wicked way in me, and lead me in the way everlasting. Now, here in Proverbs chapter 4, we're given some unmistakably clear guidance on how to guard our hearts and and thereby keep our mission-minded focus. There are four things that are given in, in and around this verse 23 right here. And I just want to highlight them for you this morning, okay? Are you ready? If we're going to guard our heart, number one, we do that by guard. You've got to guard your searching. Your searching. Verse 20, My son, attend to my words, incline thine ear unto my sayings. Let them not depart from thine eyes. Keep them in the midst of thine heart, for they are life unto those that find them and health to all their flesh. He says, my words, when you find them, will make you well, make you strong, make you whole. So we guard our heart by guarding our searching. The emphasis of Proverbs 4, it is that we live in wisdom, to seek after wisdom, because wisdom gives us a steady walk in the way of light. You know, verse 18, but the path of the justice is a shining light that shineth more and more unto the perfect day. I want to stay progressing in the pathway of light. Wisdom helps me do that, and wisdom is found in the Word of God, in His instructions. Back in verses 10 through 13, it says, Hear, O my son, and receive my sayings, and the years of thy life shall be many. I have taught thee in the way of wisdom. I have led thee in right paths. When thou goest, thy steps shall not be straightened, and when thou runnest, thou shalt not stumble. Take fast hold of instruction. Let her not go. Keep her, for she is thy life. Team, I believe that you would agree with me that this week, something that kept us well and whole was our emphasis on God's Word every day. Not just individually, but collectively. How we gathered and centered on God's Word every day. We would not have been mission-minded without that. We would not have successfully guarded our hearts without that. We have to guard our searching, guard the words of wisdom in your heart. Don't neglect your Bible, but stay with it. Stay with that prayerful reading and stay with the reflecting on your day. How helpful has that been? To the rest of the church, we, we want a message to you. This is very helpful. Wake up in the morning and spend time with God. Present yourself as a soldier before the king and bow before him and let him fill your heart with his mission for the day. And at night when it's done or sometime later in the day, take time to go back before him and look over your day and reflect on it and see what has the Lord done and what have I learned. This will keep us mission-minded. This will guard our heart. And secondly, we need to guard not only our searching but our speaking. Guard your speaking Let me show you something extremely practical and helpful. Verse 24, put away from thee a froward mouth and perverse lips put far from thee. Now you might think, well, what in the world does, well, the words I speak, I mean, doesn't that come from the heart? Yes, it does. But there's a cycle here that we're being called to give attention to. Over the last few weeks and during the mission trip to a larger degree, we learned the importance of the words we speak. We've learned the power of confession, for example. We've learned the power of saying out loud 
I'm wrong in this. Of saying to somebody, pray for me because I'm struggling right now. There's power in confession. We've learned the importance of offering our praise and where strength comes to us by praising God. Regarding our speaking. But to stay mission-minded, to guard the heart, we need to be mindful also that we avoid perverse and corrupt talk. Why? Because our words, the things we speak, open our heart. They expose the inner man. If I am speaking words of praise or words of encouragement, what does your heart open up to? Worship and gratitude and and courage. But if I start talking foolishness, what does your heart open up to? The words you speak will trigger thoughts in your mind and those thoughts will trend down. And something I say that's unnecessary and, and corrupt and a little perverse will cause you to think about something in your life, in your past, maybe even from last week that you were exposed to that you wish you hadn't have been, but it comes back and your thoughts tend, trend downward and your heart is now open and exposed to evil. We guard our heart by guarding our speaking. The admonitions of Scripture to be careful about what we say, I mean, they're everywhere. It's an amazing thing. Listen to this, Ephesians chapter 4. Verse 29 through 32, Let no corrupt communication proceed out of your mouth, but that which is good to the use of edifying, that it may minister grace unto the hearers. And grieve not the Holy Spirit of God, whereby you are sealed until the day of redemption. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and evil speaking be put away from you with all malice. Ephesians 5, 4, Neither filthiness nor foolish talking nor jesting, which are not convenient, but rather giving of thanks. So rather than the coarse language, even the Christian cussing, you know what I'm talking about. Does a a word with a bad attitude with a different arrangement of letters make it any better? I mean, I might change the words, but if I say it in the same spirit, it's a curse either way. Right? And what that does, that opens my heart to what? To more negativity to more bad thoughts i'm preaching this this morning and driving in today i had to confess to athena oh i gotta stop because i was starting to say something negative and i was realizing what i'm doing well thank god i'm realizing it we all struggle with that don't we we will start and that leads to a thought that thought leads to more words and those words lead to more thoughts No coarse language. I wasn't using coarse language this morning. No off-color jokes. Off-color jokes. That's just a little off-color joke. There's no such thing. It's foul. It's bad. It's wrong. It's dirty, right? No angry words. No words of condemnation. We are to be speaking the praises of God, speaking encouragement to the saints, and speaking words that will expose the enemy. Not just in Sunday school class or at prayer meeting, but all time. That's what we should speak of. Our words are to be used in worship and to witness and to war against the darkness. And our speaking will result from our searching. If we have been with God, if we've been in His Word and in prayer, then we'll be reflecting from guarded hearts 
from mission-minded hearts will be reflecting the greatness and the goodness and the glory of God in the things we say. This is what God wants us to do. Number three, if we're to guard our heart, we must guard our seeing. Our seeing. Verse 25, let thine eyes look right on and let thine eyelids look straight before thee. I'm going to tell you something about Vanity Fair. It's very attractive. It's designed to be that way. We were talking about this one day in a team meeting. I asked the rest of them, I said, how many of you have found yourself throughout the day walking around having to constantly do this? You know? Because everywhere there is stuff to draw your eyes to wrong things. And he says, we need to look right on. Keep your eyes focused. But Vanity Fair is very attractive. It is a fact, and it is a fact that must be dealt with. When you walk through a city of 8 million people, plus however many umpteen gazillion tourists there are, they're everywhere. A city that is known as the most sought-after city in the world. A global culture, a global economy filled with every enticement, every allurement, every evil. New York is on a much larger scale what Ephesus was in Paul's day. That's what it, that's what it is. It's designed to invite looking and seeing, but not all of it needs to be seen. And we learn to practice Bouncing our eyes. Hope. Hope. And you might feel like you're going to get whiplash. But that's not just true up there. That's true right here. That's true at Walmart. That's true in our own homes. There will be times we'll have to say, whoop, whoop. Get that out of here. Turn that off. Move that away. Look right on. Mission-minded. We emphasize the dangers of living like Lot did in Sodom leading up to the trip and how that it says that he dwelled among them and in seeing and hearing, he vexed his righteous soul from day to day. Again, I, I want to stop to say I am so glad we focused on that before we left because i got to tell you, I'm not going to stand here and say that we all got it perfect. Because I'm in the group, so I can say we didn't all get it perfect. But I can tell you unreservedly before God, I am thankful for the, just the blessed, blessed presence of God we had every day. We were not cast down. We were not overcome by this stuff. And it is because we were mission-minded. And I need to be mission-minded tomorrow and the next day, right here in Greensboro and McLeansville. Proverbs 4 tells us, keep our eyes straight ahead. Keep them fixed on God's path for your life. Ephesians 5, 1 and 2 says, Be ye therefore followers of God as dear children, and walk in love. I'm going to say this, and I'm going to give you the last thing, but it really makes the difference to humble yourself as a child and to say, Lord, lead me. Lord, you lead me, please. Lord, you lead me. I, I, I can't do this. 
And I tell you, it really makes a difference, as Paul says in Ephesians 5, to walk in love. It makes a difference to see others through the eyes of love. That woman so provocatively dressed is somebody's daughter and should be looked at as a sister. That man who is so vile, maybe in his words, maybe in his actions, maybe in his his appearance, is somebody's little boy. And I should see him as a brother. I'll tell you something. I don't know if this matter or help anybody or not, but it makes life a little easier. I guess it depends on who you're around growing up and everything, but I think I remember having it implanted in my, my mind that I walk by some old boy that you, you just know he ain't a they, they ain't no God on him. Well, number one, how do I know? I mean, really, if I don't know him, how do I know? We say, don't call him a brother now. He ain't no brother. That ain't no brother right there. That's not a brother. You know what I've come to be very comfortable with? It's calling a man brother. We pass by a lot of broken people this week. They may not know Jesus at all. But it was just nice to be able to say, I hope God will bless you, brother, and mean it. Say, well, he might not be your brother. He might not be, but I hope he will be. And I think it's important to treat people like they're going to be. That lady that, well, let's just be honest, she's everything Vanity Fair is. She represents it. But if I can see her as a sister, I can guard my heart against having the wrong faults. It's helpful. Everybody on this team has stories about men and women just like that this past week. They're victory stories. Praise God for it. Let me give you the last thing. If we're going to guard our hearts and keep our mission-mindedness, not only must we guard our searching, stay in the Word of God, we must guard our, our seeing, what we're looking at. We must guard our speech, what we talk about, but we must guard our stepping. He says, verse 26, Ponder the path of thy feet, and let all thy ways be established. Turn not to the right hand, nor to the left. Remove thy foot from evil. I thought about this week, Brother uh, Gary Staley, I shared with him in a text one morning, Little feet, be careful where you take me to. How many of you remember that song? Little feet, be careful where you take me to. Anything for Jesus, only let me do. I haven't heard that song sung since I was probably a boy. But that says something for songs like that, doesn't it? Because I thought about that song all week. How important it is to learn to watch where we step. (laughs) Can I get a witness team? We do this physically, and we should. We're careful where we step. Every day when we would leave the house to catch our subway to go into Manhattan, in those residential areas like Brooklyn or Queens or any of those places, and even in Manhattan when you're where all the homeless people tend to hang out, you're watching your step. Because there's trash everywhere. There's human and animal excrement everywhere. I might not be everywhere, but trust me, you don't want to not pay attention where you're walking. Stepping down the subway steps, going down the train. Whoa, whoa, don't step in that puddle right there. Because, you know, the smell gives it away. We're careful about where we step when it comes to our physical person not wanting to be, you know, made dirty or offended or vile. But it would help us to apply the same thing into our life spiritually. How easy it is to not pay attention to where we're going. 
and to find ourselves watching something that we're regretting or listening to something that we shouldn't have or in a place where activity's going on that we know it's affecting our heart and whatever it may be, we come back from that not feeling strong in the Lord. We should have been paying attention to where we were stepping. When we walk, we must watch. Paul said, Ephesians 5, 15, 16, See then that ye walk circumspectly, not as fools. Circumspectly means walk with precision. Pay attention to where you're walking. When I do my high wire act at next year's vacation Bible school, you'll see me walk circumspectly across that wire. Y'all didn't know I was going to do that, did you? I just thought it up, so I'll get busy training. Would you watch a high wire walker? They walk circumspectly. Watch a cat walk across a fence and watch them walk circumspectly. How do they do that? Because they step with precision. And Paul says, see that you walk circumspectly, not as fools, but as wise, redeeming the time because the days are evil. Mark it out, step with precision. I know that can be difficult in a crazy world. And mistakes will be made. Okay? Mistakes will be made. The AP and I reconned. You'll see in the presentation tonight, I didn't realize how many people were taking pictures of us looking at the map. They were over there saying, see, there they are again. They don't know where they're going. Well, we reconned. I've been to that city seven times now. And I'm telling you, it's easy to get off the course. Mistakes will be made. But what do you do? You stop. Don't keep going the wrong way. You stop and you get reoriented and you get realigned and you get turned around. The AP read it this morning, Ephesians chapter 2, verse 10, For we are His workmanship, created in Christ Jesus unto good works, which God hath before ordained that we should walk in them. He's not going to let you go. He's not going to turn you away. You are His workmanship. The word is poema. It is the same word found in Matthew 4, 19. Follow me and I will make you a poia, a poem, a creative story. Follow me, Jesus says, and I will make your life a beautiful story. And now that the mission is over, the mission-mindedness must remain. And again, remember all the good that came as a result of the way you lived and trained and focused. And remember, the mission may be done, but the next mission is coming. Ultimately, folks, we are always on mission. Ultimately, we are always soldiers and ambassadors it's just a different place, different people, but the same need for the gospel, the same need for Christ's mind, love, mercy, compassion, and so forth. We must be ready. Your adversary, the devil, is a roaring lion, walketh about seeking whom he may devour. We need to be mission-minded. 